there, Green Future Growers. Thanks for joining us today. If you're new to the show, I hope you'll subscribe on iTunes or your favorite Android app. And let's get growing. Oh, I'm so excited, Amelia. Is it, it, I'm saying that right, right? Yes, Amelia. Yep. And are you, you must be a rock star millennial, right? Were you born between 1980 and 1995? 1983, I was born. Awesome. So I don't know if you know, I'm writing a book about the rock star millennials that I interview on my show. Because right. I love millennials. I've been really sick, so I'm just going to let you roll as much as you are willing to roll. <laughs> Do you have any questions for me? Um, I don't, Where are you, are you located? We are in northwest Montana, but I grew up on Long Island, um, so I'm very familiar with, like, the Connecticut area. I'm, 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 not, not, very I'm not in your part of Connecticut, trust me. <laughs> I'm in the okay. poor part of Connecticut. <laughs> cool. Uh, all right, well... <laughs> Let's tell listeners about it. I love your laugh. This is going to be great. You have super energy and just, uh, I've been looking forward to this all week. So, uh, I'll introduce you and we'll go from there. And you're like, um, so I just, I don't know if you know this part. I just rebranded our show as the green organic gardener podcast. So you're yeah, I saw like, that. Yep. And so I'm loving that. And I even updated the, logo a little more, which makes me feel because like when I type it to people, I type green in capitals. So it kind of stands out a little. And I was like, uh-huh. I need to change that on the logo. Plus I just wasn't settled with that. Anyway, uh, here we go. Okay. All right. Welcome to the green organic gardener podcast. I'm your host, Jackie Marie Beyer. It's Saturday, February 1st, 2020. And I'm just super excited because since I'm working in Whitefish, Montana, which is like 45 miles south of where I live, I get to listen to a lot more podcasts each day. And and anytime I get to listen to more podcasts, I listen to my show. I feel closer to everybody listening and just um, I'm getting excited because Free the Seeds in Montana is coming up um, a month from tomorrow, I think. It's usually like March 2nd or it's like the first weekend in March. So I'm going to see other guests like Robin Kelson and Patty Armbruster and Laura Behenna and Pam, um, Pamela Lund, who listeners I know you have heard of. And so I hope you're connecting with your other favorite gardeners. And today we have a rock star millennial from the Facebook group who is going to share all sorts of cool things. And since I've been sick, I'm going to be extra quiet today. Um, so from Black Sun Farm in Connecticut, here is Amelia Kellner. So welcome to the show, Amelia. Thank you. Well, go ahead and tell listeners all about yourself. Um, I I don't know if I'm a rock star, but I'm trying, I guess. Um, <laughs> I have. I, I know you're a rock star for <laughs> sure. I I've I, I live in Northeast Connecticut. It's a the the poor part of Connecticut. We're not uh, you know we're we're not in um, Hartford or or over near New York. We're in the side next to Rhode Island. So um, if if you hear an accent, it's probably more of a Rhode Island accent than anything. Um, but yeah, I, funny. <laughs> and the uh, only thing I think of Hartford is it's like one of the two times my car was ever broken into. So oh yeah, no, Hartford. I, uh, I don't have the best <laughs> memories of Hartford. <laughs> Nobody has good memories of Hartford. Don't feel bad. Um, no offense. Yeah, no, right. Yeah, no offense if you live in Hartford, but, um, yeah, this, 
there's there's a lot of farms um in general out in this part of Connecticut and um I just it's not where I started farming but um my my husband and I bought a little piece of property I I guess we count as an urban farm because we're we're um we're not out in the middle of nowhere in the woods and stuff where we've got neighbors that we can see but it's a it's a large enough um we have 1.2 acres so it's a teeny weeny little property but we're but that's t- like huge when you're <laughs> like <laughs> Connecticut and places like where I grew up so there's some oh. yeah yeah we've we've got a few friends that would that keep telling us oh my gosh we'd kill to have this much land and I'm just like right. it's not that much land <laughs> I was curious to know, where did the Black Sun name come from? Oh, it's, um, um, my husband and I were goth kids in high school. We still are kind of goth kids. Oh, cool. (laughs) Um, Yeah, we, I, I, I really, um, we, we wear black a lot. We're goth kids. Um, but we, I'm really into growing all the black vegetables. So like black tomatoes, black peppers, um, and anything that I can find that's really dark and weird, like the black carrots. Oh, I love those black carrots. Um, but yeah, we, so I, I always buy those seeds first <laughs> and I love growing them. I've, I've learned a couple of, um, tips and tricks with those poor, poor little black tomatoes. They're not as, they're not as black as you hope they will be. Um, <laughs> Oh, will you share some tips? Because I know that's what my listeners always love to hear most. What are some tips? Oh, with the black tomatoes? I mean, don't, the thing yeah. with the black tomatoes, and I only learned this last year, is, is, um, they turn black where the sun is hitting them. So, um, if you accidentally forget to trim your tomato bush for a couple of weeks and it gets kind of bushy, and the bushy parts are hiding the tomatoes. That part, all the tomatoes that are hiding inside the tomato uh, bush there are, are going to have big green splotches on them. So what you basically have to do is either assume that your tomatoes are only going to be black from like the top down halfway and then green underneath or figure out a way to try to turn your tomatoes towards the sun. Which is, you know, good luck for that because by the time that happens, it's like September and the bugs are going crazy on them. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it, I mean, they still, they still work. They still, and when you slice them, they're, they're black from the top to where they start to fade into green and they still taste great. They're just, they're the kind of thing that I, I like to make salsa out of instead of be like slicing them and putting them on a sandwich because it's not, it's not as impressive if the whole thing isn't fully black. So I don't know how Baker Creek got theirs to be fully black, but man, good luck to them. I, <laughs> I'm still working on that part. <laughs> um, yeah. How, what do they taste like? Do they just taste like a regular tomato? Oh, almost every tomato I have ever had, and I've had a t- dozens of different varieties, still in one way, shape, or form tastes like a tomato. Some tomatoes are a little bit sweeter and they're nicer, um, but every tomato tastes like a tomato there's there's nothing it's not like you know it's not a black tomato that's black like your soul and you know <laughs> horrible sulfur tasting or anything it's, it tastes like a tomato it's just it's just black it's really cool looking so um the same thing with like i we i grew um black jalapenos last year and i'm thinking oh man these are going to be like super spicy and they were they were really mild <laughs> Like I was picking them and eating them off the, off the bush. 
So um, the, don't don't ever be afraid to grow black vegetables. The black carrots are just to die for because there's a variety. There's a couple different varieties, but the one that I love is um, I think that's bla- the black nebula, and they're black like all the way through. And you can when you um, I, I like to uh, after I've grown them uh, steam them. Um, what you call parboil, um, blanch them. That's the word I'm looking for. You have to blanch them for two minutes before you can freeze them. So you, you slice them up and you blanch them for two minutes. And then the water that you're draining out of there is like purple. <laughs> so it's really cool. If you, if you really wanted to, I guarantee you could, you could use that to dye something, dye fabric or dye paper or anything like that. It's super, like it turns your fingers black. Awesome. My friend DC is actually like so into um, herbal dye and just like dyeing like from onion skins. And what did she do? She made this really pretty pale pink out of an avocado pits. And she's been like doing YouTube video podcasts about how to dye naturally. So I'm going to totally tell her about this. I know she's going to love it. You are just dropping golden seeds. I knew you would. But let me ask you about your... So what was your very first gardening experience like? Who were you with? Like, what did you grow? Like, were you a little uh, kid or was it when I, you met your husband or? No, no. Uh, well, my my grandmother I, my, on my mother's side had a, a big garden. Well, it was a, it kind of was a homestead almost. But, I mean, it was also an urban area. And they had a little under an acre. And I remember being a really little kid. And they had blueberries and and fruit trees and big gardens. And they, they were getting older. Um my grandfather on that side was born in 1910 and grandma was born in like 15 or 16, something like that. So they were way, way older when I was little. Um, but I remember that. And, and I think because of that, they were, my mother was used to gardening and everything. So when I was little, my mother had a vegetable garden. I remember having to help her a little bit, you know, as much as a little kid possibly can. Mostly you go in there and eat green beans when you're like seven years old, (laughs) but, um, then my uh my my parents were divorced when I was really young and my ex stepmother also was a gardener but she didn't garden vegetables she did plants she was like cra- a crazy flower plant lady and like we had eight gardens at the house and every inch of available space inside the house had plants on it so I was very much raised with a crazy crazy plant lady uh, I didn't always like it but I was used to it <laughs> um so yeah I, I'm. I don't know. I can't remember exactly my first gardening experience, but I just I, my entire childhood was surrounded by plants and gardens. And, um, you know, I, obviously I spent a little time after high school not doing that <laughs> for a while, living life and enjoying things. But I, I always kind of get went back to to plants. Um, I mean, I, I was in BOAG in high school at vocational agriculture, like the FFA, but I was in animal science. Which, um, I kicked ass at animal science. <laughs> Do you guys have animals? Uh, here? Oh yeah. I, we have poultry. Um, cause it's, it's a small, we have two goats. We have two big geese. Um, they're dulap too loose. So they're like the largest possible geese you can be. And they're out there screaming at me to let them out right now. And I'm not listening. Um, and, and we oh, have do you want to go let them out? You can put no, them it's fine. They were out all, all morning and I'm going to let them out when we're done. So they're just being babies. Um, <laughs> my stepdaughter, like 
founded these three little, like, I don't know, they were like Canadian geese walking down when they were like little babies and she took them home and she raised them for a summer and they just like, they followed her everywhere. Oh, I can totally funny. relate. That's funny. That means they imprinted on her. That's pretty cool. Yeah, my, my animals have not imprinted on me. I mean, the, the, the goats, we just have two little boy goats. We just got them last year. Um, because part of our 1.2 acres is, is probably almost a quarter acre, acre of it is wooded area. Just total junk. The people that had this place before us neglected the heck out of it. And there's a whole section of it that's just brush and trees and like literal trash. We're pulling tires and old cans and garbage out of our woods every year. So we're desperately trying to clean that up so that, uh, uh, you know, I want to be able to plant some things back there. The goat, we got the goats, two little um, weathers, which means they they're fixed um, so that they would be able to go back there and eat a lot of stuff. And they do, but they're a pain in the butt and they don't listen very well. So it's like having two dogs that eat the woods. Um, but anyway, and we've got chickens. Uh, we did actually, we just lost two chickens, two hens the other day to a hawk attack, which was fun because I, I went out to take the recycling out and uh, open the, re- the bin for the recycling and a hawk flew up at my face because that's where she had hidden my chicken. That was fabulous, yeah. Um, but we're we're planning on ordering some more chicks this year. Um, I have one of my favorite chicken is currently residing in our basement. Uh, <laughs> he's a little he's a little blue silky, and he's so cute and fluffy. And um, I just posted a bunch of pictures yesterday on like Instagram and stuff um, because I gave him a bath and I blow dried him. <laughs> And he just sat there and he was loving it. He's like, oh, he's moving his head around in the blow dryer. It was so funny. Um, What's your Instagram handle? Uh, just the same as everything else, Black Sun Farm CT, I think. Because I think there's another Black Sun Farm somewhere else in the country, but um, I don't know where they are. I, I'm C- Connecticut. Um, I bet listeners will want to go look at those pictures. Yeah. We have, the one good news we have is we had a grizzly bear come through and wipe out all our chickens last year, and we had oh. just had babies for the first time, but one of them made it. So we have oh, one chicken good. right now, and we're going to get some hopefully this spring. Yeah. So that was yeah. exciting. Cause like after like a month, all of a sudden here comes this chicken. <laughs> oh, she must have just been surviving down there, like hiding out and the fence is like one of Mike's big goals. Like we were talking about our goals. My husband is to repair our fence. Like here, yeah, our fence lasted a long time, but I guess it's got some spots this year that really need repaired. And I think the chicken has full access to everywhere right now. So I think he has to build <laughs> a fence before we can have more chickens. But anyway, back to you. Yeah. <laughs> no, I understand the fence dilemma, man. I gotta, I think I have to get another fence. We ended up having to replace our whole flock last year because, um, we had, we had a couple of different breeds that were like a slim, um, very lithe breed. Um, our rooster was an Egyptian Fayumi, which I don't know if you've ever seen or heard of those. He was gorgeous. If you ever Google a picture of an Egyptian Fayumi, they're beautiful, but they're flighty, which, um, he he could fly up and over our 10-foot-tall fence, and he would do that frequently, and then every time you let the girls out, he'd fly up and over, he'd, he'd let, he'd get his girls following him, and they'd go in the neighbor's yard and tear up the neighbor's yard, and the neighbor was not happy with us, so um, we ended up, drastic measures, we got rid of everybody except our favorite couple of hens, um, and 
got new birds. We researched, researched, researched. We wanted a big, fat, round, heavy bird that wasn't going to be able to fly up and over anywhere and would be more likely to stick around, you know, in our yard. So um, we're trying to raise right now partridge cochins, which are, you know, they're super cute. But like I said, I lost a couple of hens. So now, right now, I only have one rooster and one hen. <laughs> I'm going to be doing a big chick order in a couple of weeks. Um, but, yeah, we're, that's that's where I forgot the train of thought. Now, the fencing. <laughs> I understand the fencing. Don't don't get um, don't get skinny chickens if uh, you have neighbors that are anywhere nearby. Uh, <laughs> that's that's the lesson. We have learned. Or if you don't want them in your garden, like I talked Mike into letting our chickens out a few years ago, and then we could never get them to stay in again. And our rooster was constantly flying. He could get in and out. And that was a real problem for us. Like if Mike hadn't built the mini farm, like when it happened, like uh-huh. he was getting really frustrated because they were constantly eating where our garden was oh, for yeah. some reason. Yeah. They would not fly into the mini farm, which always like baffled me because it's the exact same fence, same size, <laughs> same height, but they never did fly into there. But yeah, that's, um, I can totally understand. Yeah. So more golden seeds that you're sharing with us. I would never have thought of get heavier chickens that it's harder for them to fly. Yeah. Well, another lesson we learned, um, the hard way being here is any garden you build, if it's above ground or, or down, whatever, anything that you build, fence in, especially if you have birds. But we battled a whole, like three different families of groundhogs the first year. They, they tunneled from the garage. They made a giant tunnel, like 30 feet long to go under my fence and into my garden. So <laughs> you have to bar- bury your fence and have a nice big tall fence to get, to keep all the birds out. Um, I mean, there's some ducks, like runner ducks won't eat your produce. They'll go in there and eat the bugs. But if you don't have a bunch of runner ducks and all you've got is a couple of chickens, which, you know, a lot of people have chickens now, you don't want to let your chickens in the garden because they'll go in there and they'll scratch around and they'll eat the bugs, but then they'll also eat uh, half of your vegetables. (laughs) You know, if you have any seedlings, they're digging that up and eating that. Chickens are jerks. So (laughs) you make sure everything (laughs) I plant Absolutely everything I plant, even if it's if I'm planting a, a bush or a new tree or sapling or anything, I put a little fence around it. We have little chunks of fences, uh, just chunks of fencing in the garage all over the place because anytime I plant something, I put a chunk of fence around it for at least a year until it's established itself. My, my geese are go- running around every spring nipping the buds and nipping the little green leaves off of everything they can find. So, um, And I mean, I only have two geese. Imagine if you have a whole flock. So can I ask a question about that? Like, because I know if you're selling food to the farmer's market, you can't let animals into your garden beds for like 120 days. But are geese different? Can you let geese in there? Or is it like, oh, I don't know. I keep the geese out of my garden beds anyway. (laughs) I keep them out because they eat everything. Oh, they're terrible. They, the, the geese, um, the, the only thing my birds have access to on a regular basis is the compost pile, which works out because, you know, I'm throwing old food in there and they can eat whatever they want and they poop in it. So they add more stuff to it. It's it's a it's a good symbiotic relationship in the summertime when the compost pile is getting all all nice and warm and cooking and, and the bugs are going crazy in there. I've got chickens and ducks rooting around in there eating the bugs. So it's it's like free food for them. Um, I have a couple of, a couple of people, my mom and, and there's another lady I know that, that bring me their, you know, they just have a little bucket and they save all their leftover scraps and whatnot. Um, and I just go 
as soon as they drop them off, I dump it in the compost and the birds get a nice, nice treat. And it, it helps keep the uh, food costs down because, you know, even if it's all vegetables and stuff, the, the, the geese eat tomatoes and carrots and apple cores and all kinds of stuff that you wouldn't think anything else would eat. So it works out that way. But I, I like I said, I, I make sure I keep them out. A couple of times the geese have tried to sneak into my my fenced in area. My my female goose, her name is Cabbage. And she is she's like my pet goose. She's my baby. But I turn around and say, Cabbage, get your butt out of here, because you know you're not supposed to be in here, and she just goes honk honk and then you know turns around and she goes, She's like, I know I'm not supposed to be in here. She does what I tell her to do. But she follows me around because I throw beats at her all the time. So I love well, my listeners know I love all of this. You're collecting your neighbor's compost. And yeah, we let our chickens into the compost pile sometimes, too. Uh, Well, cool. Well, then. So did you learn how to garden organically from your grandmother and your stepmom and all the people Uh, that were with you? Or where'd that come from? I learned nothing organically from anybody in the family, unfortunately. (laughs) Um, The the organically thing came from... um, it was 2014. My ex-husband and I got divorced, and this is this is the sad story. I'll try to keep it as short as possible. But we were getting divorced, and uh, I figured out that I, I had never heard of a farm apprenticeship before. Um, a friend of mine told me about it, and I looked into it, and I found I discovered that a farm apprenticeship was a thing, which is where you you go and live on a farm and you work on that farm and they give you a place to live basically for the the growing season. So I ended up doing a couple of interviews and I found a farm um, that I could, I could move to. And uh, they they were, you know, they were paying a a pretty meager wage, but it came with housing and, you know, and any of the vegetables you wanted to eat and eggs and things like that. So I figured it was a pretty good deal. Um, so I ended up doing that. I went from being a stay-at-home mom for four and a half, five years to going and living on a farm um, where I, o- I only got to see my kids one one or two days a week. And they were little. They were My daughter was four and my son was like one and a half at the time. So it that is – it's the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my entire life. I'll tell you that right now. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't recommend it if anybody can avoid having to do that, but – I, I basically I knew that my ex couldn't afford to, you know, be putting me and the kids up in an apartment. And I was trying to be nice and say, look, I'm I'm going to get out of the house. We made an agreement. I'm just going to be out for the, the growing season. It was like April to October. And then I'd come back. I'd move back up and get my own place. And we'd do the whole, you know, joint custody thing again. Um, so I had I had to. So help who watched the kids? He, I, I helped him pay. He had a good job at the time, and I helped him pay a little bit for um, a babysitter during the week. And at one in June of that year, he lost his job, so that was fun because he and I had bought a house together. <laughs> so he had no money to pay for the mortgage, and I was out at a farm apprenticeship that I had agreed to be. You know, I, I was living on the farm and working on the farm. I was working sixty hours a week on this farm. Um, I learned a lot. It was an organic vegetable farm um, in, in Harwinton, Connecticut. Um, and I, I loved it. there. I loved learning so much. Um, I was the only apprentice that he had. There was a couple other people that worked there um, part-time slash full-time. Um, but I was the only one there all the time. 
So I knew what was going on. I mean, it got to a point where, you know, if a customer said, hey, when's this thing going to be ready? The boss would look at me and be like, when's that going to be ready? <laughs> and I'd tell him because <laughs> I knew better. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. So but that's a lot of hours, 16 oh, yeah. hours a week. Like I thought people did that stuff, but they only were expected to work like 20 hours a week. Oh, God, no. If you're in a full blown farm apprenticeship, you are learning how to be a farmer. It was Tuesday through Sunday. Originally, like when it, when the season first started, I got Sundays and Mondays off, but then, um, it got to a point where like halfway through the year, um, they had a market somewhere in, uh, I think it was like Woodbury or something in Connecticut that, um, the, the, the boss's wife was going to and she didn't feel like going anymore. So they said, well, do you want to go? And I said, sure, I'll do that. They, they offered to, to split the profits with me if I went to the market every Sunday. So I said, well, that's, you know, extra money that I really need because when I'm out of here, I'm going to have to find a place to live with my kids. So I did that and it was even less time that I got to see my kids. Um, but, uh, I managed, I, I did ma- manage to make a little extra money. So, um, it worked out in the end and it was, it was probably the most important learning experience I've ever had. Um, because of that experience, uh, being an apprentice on the farm, on an organic farm, I've gotten every, every subsequent job I've had since then. <laughs> so, um, and I've had a few because, you know, when, when you specialize in working seasonal positions, you, <laughs> You're, you're really, you're really desirable as a farm employee, but then as soon as winter rolls around, it's like, well, nobody wants to hire you anymore for anything. So that's been an adventure. Um, I'm, I'm, that's I'm, so interesting. I just showed Mike the other day, like, I just keep thinking, I saw this tiny home for $27,000 and I was like, if we could put that here, we could have two interns living in that. And but I was thinking they could work 20 hours a week. But I mean, it's not like we go to market like we wouldn't really like. But I just felt like then maybe they could do enough work between them and Mike. We would be able to go to market. And plus, just for him to have some help, like even if we had I just don't want to buy this tiny home. It was so cool looking and totally furnished. And if we put it right up because we have the space. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah, um, the place I was I was living in like a, a it was above their garage, but it was like kind of converted into an apartment. The guy, he had a, a composting toilet in there, and then um, he had um, his con- his contract, one of his contractor friends, build me a little sink in there. So I had, like, I had his old refrigerator and a toaster oven and a sink and a composting toilet that I had to take care of. So, um, and there, there was a shower out back behind the barn. So if you did, you better, you know, get your shower done before dark. <laughs> you had exactly seven minutes of hot water. <laughs> Sweet. It was an outdoor shower with hot water. Like, yeah, well, like a propane water tank or something. Yeah, he had a little heated water tank in the barn and, um, it, 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 I mean, it only worked for the shower that was out back, but it, there was a little shower stall built around it. And, um, yeah. Uh, he, that he, sounds he, awesome. I had to clean uh, all of this because he hadn't had an intern in a couple of years. So uh, <laughs> everything was moldy and gross and I had to clean that. I had to clean out the toilet. I had to clean out the whole apartment thing. But um, it ended up working out. It wasn't that bad. It was kind of like living in a studio apartment for seven or eight months. So, you know, I, it got to a point where I could take my kids and bring my kids to visit me and they'd stay with me in the apartment because they, they were little. So my daughter would just share the bed with me. My son was sleeping in his little pack and play and it was fine. 
and they got a lot more time outdoors playing around outdoors on the, their short visits with me than they were when they were with their father. So, and I was thinking you were probably so exhausted. All you did was like look <laughs> at your pillow and fall over anyway. Oh, at the end of the day, most of the time, but you know, you only had the, the end of the day to do anything. So I was seeing the man that is my husband. Now I was seeing him at the time and he was working on another farm in Connecticut. Also, he worked way worse than I did. The The farm he worked at, I mean, I was, I was doing what I was doing 60 hours a week. I was getting 200 bucks a week and that was like way more than they ever pay anybody else. So I had a good deal there. He was uh, on his farm living in, it was literally a shack it was literally a shack that they had run electricity to. Um, and he, there was a shower out back there and toilets out way in the back. Um, there's a water pump near his, but he was in a shack right by the, the chicken and pig pens. And, and he was getting a hundred dollars a week and he was expected to work 12 to 15 hours a day, every day. Uh, sun, I think Sundays he got a couple hours off, but it was, it was like an eight hour day on Sundays instead of a 15 hour day on Sundays. So he was exhausted, absolutely exhausted. I had it better than he did. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's farming, farming's not, not easy. You know, I, this was six, six years ago now. So I, I've been, I've still been doing it, but you gotta, you get in good shape. I tell you what, when you're busting your butt. But anyway, I, that, <laughs> I did that, and uh, the next job I had after that the next year was on a different organic farm in Massachusetts because we moved back to Massachusetts, and then I got another job. I, I've started working retail greenhouse nurseries, um, so that that's where I'm working right now. My my um, part-time seasonal job right now, I work at um, Quack and Grass Nursery over in Brooklyn, which is they don't. It's all like almost all ornamental. There's a few edibles because I got. I, the boss gets all, you know, just kind of rolls his eyes at me, but I get all excited when I see an edible plant or, or, Hey, I know this is, this has, you know, herbal value. And, and so I come home with a lot of stuff from there, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I've, that's, that's just due to be me becoming more of an herbalist now, but I think vegetable gardening and is going to be my, my first love. I, I also worked uh part-time last year at another certified organic vegetable farm, um, which those people are letting me rent a field this year. So I have to keep up with the organic practices and everything. All I know is gardening organically. I mean, I don't, I don't even know how to do it <laughs> the conventional way. I stay away from chemicals if I can, you know, I'll what are you going to grow on your field that you're renting? Oh, I already planted garlic. So I've got like three or four rows of garlic I'm going to do uh, onions, shallots, sweet potatoes, and sage. Um, one of the things that I, I've been making with my um, herb, herbal business is um, smudge sticks. You know what those are? Smudging. Yeah, uh, of course. Like, yeah, I worked on um, I worked on a reservation for six years. I taught. I teach school by trade. I'm an elementary school teacher, and I taught on the Indian reservation. So, like, the teachers would smudge their classrooms. That's awesome. That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I grow. I'm, I, but uh, I guess you might want to tell listeners because just because oh, I know, maybe they don't know. Smudge sticks are, it's it's uh, those little sage bundles that you, um, I'm sure you've seen them in a store, probably somewhere in a hippie store or something. 
Usually they're made with white sage. Um, white sage is really difficult to grow out here, and it's definitely not a perennial in Connecticut. That's like a southwestern kind of plant, so you can grow it in pots, um, and which which I do. Um, I've, but I have to bring them inside the house all winter, so it's it's minimal white sage. Um, but you can make that uh, make the smudge sticks with regular sage, and garden sage grows just fine here. So that field that I'm going to be renting is um, it's kind of in a drier area, so I'm thinking you know. I thought about throwing some other potatoes there, but I'm like, you gotta have to keep going back there and watering things all the time. And I'm trying to avoid that because it's, it's like a 20 minute drive away from here. It's not super close, not super far, but it's far enough that I don't want to be there every single day. <laughs> um, trying to find crops I can grow over there that aren't going to require an eye on them every single day. You know what I mean? But, um, but I do, I, I, I mix all kinds of different, um, herbs and flowers into my smudge sticks because, um, Every every different herb has has a different meaning and a different use. So I I look them all up um, in my special little book and um, I I make uh, smudge blends. I also do loose incense and I've started learning how to make incense cones. I'm I'm getting really big into incense. I need to take a class in that officially. <laughs> but yeah, that's 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 where I'm at with that. I can talk more about my herbalist studies and things later. I guess. I want to hear what flowers you're mixing in with them. I feel like you just drip golden seeds. Like every <laughs> word out of your mouth, we're like learning and just I'll bet listeners are loving this interview. Plus your excitement is so fun. But what other flowers do you put in there? I love sage, but I just grow garden sage and you're inspiring me to grow more of it than I have in the past. I love sage because the, um, Bees love to come, and it's one of those easy mm-hmm. things, like you're saying, that you grow that you don't have to pay a lot of attention to. Like, are sweet potatoes like that? Like, you don't have to pay they, – they kind of are a drier well, climate? I would what, think Connecticut's climate – what zone are you would be similar to ours? We're um, – I think we're technically 6A, but I was always taught – every, every professional gardener, every professional farmer, everybody says just treat it like five just in case. You know what I mean? So like you don't want to be you shouldn't be buying a lot of plants in that that are that are the end of their zone is zone six. If I'm zone six then and you buy a plant that's that says it's it does great from zone nine to six. Oh, you better worry about it because there's a good chance that that plant won't make it as a perennial. You know what I mean? There's a chance it will. It depends how mild the winter is or not. Um, But if you get really stuck on a certain plant, um, it's just generally safer to plant things if you're planning on a, being a perennial or a tree or anything like that, that you know are going to grow in your climate. So, um, I try not to buy anything that I, that, um, grows in anything warmer than like zone four or five. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's okay. what we are. I think we're four B or around. There, we're a little bit colder. Yeah. Closer so, to like, five. you would want to make sure that that whatever you're growing, if you're trying to grow a perennial, make sure that it goes to zone three, you know, or no more than zone four. And if you're growing something that, that kind of taps out at zone four, be careful because um, the, if you have a rough winter that year, it could die is the thing. So, um Anyway, that's that's the good one to be careful of. I I mix all kinds of things. I mean, it's usually sage, sage, uh, mugwort, 
Juniper is really nice to put in there because juniper has been used as an incense for thousands of years and it smells nice when you, when you um, burn it. I've tried. That's awesome. We have so much juniper. Juniper is a natural bush that grows in the woods around my home. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. Well, you can dry some, dry some and burn it next time you get a chance. Like even just take, take a couple of chunks off of it, get, get it. So it's dry. So it's kind of like crumbly dry. And then what you do, um, yeah, if you take a piece of wood charcoal, like out of your fireplace, or I, we buy wood charcoal for our grill. So I'll take a chunk of that and stick it in a dish. And, um, just cause it helps, um, once that's got smoldering, it, it helps the, uh, incense burn. But then you put a little bit of the ju- dried juniper on that and light it. Um, and it's just a safer, it's, it's, it's more, it smells nice. It smells really nice. I really like, um, the mugwort. I'm also growing sweet grass now. Um, that I got from my nursery and oh my gosh, sweetgrass when it's burning smells lovely. So it's, it's really relaxing. I, I know that's, that's another Native American, um, herbal. Yeah, where I live, there's the sweetgrass hills. So I'm sure a lot of their bundles did have sweetgrass in them. Yeah, yeah, probably. I mean, my, my husband's from Wisconsin and he's, um, he's like a, a quarter Menominee. So he's, he's done a lot of the Native American, um, studies. He, he was raised with that. <laughs> um, not raised, full-on integrated Native American, more like kind of half and half. So he's, but he did, he did a, like a summer camp out in Michigan that, that was um, for learning all the Native American traditions and things. So he's, he's been immersed in that for quite a bit. Um, uh, and what, a, I, I throw some yarrow in there. Uh, I've thrown echinacea. That looks really cool. It doesn't, I, I mean, it still burns and whatnot, but it just, it more looks cool than, <laughs> than being as, Super special, um, herb, but definitely oregano and lemon balm and the mints. All those things that get really nice and tall that you can just kind of snip and, and grow in. Yeah, yeah, like I said, yarrow is a good one. Um, yeah, all, all of those. And, and then you, you bundle them all up in, in your smudge stick bundle and let them dry. And every different herb because of, because of its own special meaning it just it kind of creates its own blend its own little magical aura for you know a lot of them are this this blend will protect your house this blend will you know protect your house but also kind of cause you to have good dreams this blend over here will help help you heal if you've got you know medical or emotional ailments and you want to heal this one the, the these these herbs will help you in the healing mindset and, you know, if nothing else, they're all really relaxing and they smell wonderful. So I love doing that now. So then do you sell these at the farmer's market? I I do. Yeah, I've just started this year. So it's it's apparently really popular because not a lot of people have seen that before. Like I, I've gotten a lot of people come up and say, oh, my God, smudge sticks or oh, my God, sage sticks. That's so cool. And then they want to buy them. So I'm like, well, I guess I better be growing a bunch more stuff this year. <laughs> but. I also just applied for my cottage food license so that I would be able to uh, legally sell um, my my tea blends and, th- and my herbal blends. Um, so I make because I make a lot of those. I'm I'm almost done with my certified herbalist course. I just have to do a few more um, evaluations and oh, a couple more things in my materia medica. Um, but I've also I've taken a. Wait, um, tell us about that. <laughs> like, um, so you're taking a certified herbal course online or in person no it's online because there aren't the uh there's one herbalist school in connecticut and it's in milford which is like an hour and a half almost two hour drive from here i can't be doing that all the time 
I don't have that kind of money for gas money. Uh, and the other one that's closest to here is in Boston. Uh, that's Commonwealth Center for Holistic Herbalism. I, they have a podcast and I listen to their stuff and I get a lot of stuff from them online. They're wonderful people, but it's, it's Boston. It's like two hour drive. So I'm not doing that right now. Uh, they do have online courses. I just, um, I'm, I'm, the course I'm taking is Heart of Herbs Herbal School. And they, the, the lady that runs this course, uh, she ran a 50% off sale right at like Black Friday and I caught it. <laughs> so I, I got, I got my course for 50% off. I mean, it still ended up on the credit card, but you know, that's, it's a lot, a lot less than I was, uh, expecting to have to pay before for my, my course. Um, and because I've been, for the last and then, year. like, wait, tell me about, like, the certifications and everything. Like, well, all right, so you take, like, tests or quizzes? Yeah. Or, oh, yeah. Or? You take tests and quizzes. You have to, you have to prove that you have some knowledge of the, of the plants in there. Um, you, Materia Medica is, is a, basically a file that you're building slowly over the entire thing where you're doing a different profile for each different, um, plant. Uh, you know, do, do one on rosemary, do one on sage or, um, you know, red clover or, uh, plantain. Plantain's like my favorite. Um, <laughs> but anyway, you're, you're, you're teach. there's, there's nothing. What there's- do you like about plantain? Oh, plantain heals everything. Don't get me on a tangent on plantain. Let me finish my thought first. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's, there's okay. no, there's no body in the entire United States that, that actually, um, certifies or, or licenses herbalists. The entire, the United States doesn't do that because it's, um, it's, I guess it's too close to being a doctor and they don't want to say you're a doctor because you can't practice medicine, but it's, it's herbs. They can't, um, they can't license herbs because they grow everywhere. So I'm taking a certified certification course. So basically I can prove to people that want to be my customers that yes, I've actually taken some legitimate education in this and I, I, I can be trusted to know what I'm talking about. Not necessarily, you know, I'm, I'm not allowed to be giving medical advice or diagnosing people, but if somebody comes up to me and says, Hey, you know, I, I got diagnosed with, um, Crohn's disease or something. Do you, you know, can you help me with any, any herbs to help with that? I, there's this whole process. You have to evaluate the person because you got to know their entire history and their, their body constitution to get, to really figure out what would be the best herbs to help them. Um, like I said, it's a long process and I've been learning a lot. You can actually learn a lot, a lot about herbalism for free online. A lot of different herbal schools and, um, a lot of different famous herbalists run, run, will run a free class here and there. Um, right now, School for Evolutionary Herbalism is running their Vitalist Herbalist mini course. I took it last year and I'm taking it again this year because it's a free course and it's, it's full of awesome information. Um, but also, you know, listen to herbalist podcasts and you get tons and tons and tons of free information that way from other professional herbalists that are like registered with the American Herbalist Guild. And it's like, you know, these people know what they're talking about. So you're learning from people that know what they're talking about. Plus, you know, there's a million books and things you can you can learn from. So I, I've been learning for free for a year and a half. And now I'm just about done with my paid my second paid course the first course i did was a course from the uk because they do actually license people in the uk but um obviously i can't get a license or anything i can just learn what they would be teaching so um i've i've actually been studying i'm i'm trying to to really be legitimate about this so that i can i can hopefully help some people with my herbs (laughs) with any herbs but yeah 
I'm growing them too. So this I try is so to interesting. I've mostly just focused on culinary herbs, but my friend Decia does all this stuff. She listens to all sorts of podcasts like you're talking about and learns a lot about their medicine. She's always making, she makes these box like season boxes where she goes and she's kind of more into gathering locally like but she makes like medicines for her kids and things and puts things like for preventing medicine she's just super healthy and unnaturalist yeah, like you are that's pretty much what i'm doing yeah yeah i i forage too i forage all the time i can't i can't go on a hike and not bring something home with me um <laughs> even just a little bit you know i always do it ethically but you know if i see a big patch of something I'm like oh, i'm gonna take a couple of these and just stick them in my pocket um but I do, I, I have, I have. We don't um, have that worry here. I have a problem. <laughs> it's like, it's just nice to see somebody using it. Like we, I, we live in the, a lot of woods area. Yeah. I love, I love going through the woods. The woods is like the best place. Um, but anyway, oh no, uh, to answer your question earlier, plantain, you know, the plant, like the little, the weedy little plantain plant. You recognize yeah. what I'm talking about? Yeah. It's, it grows everywhere. People walk. It's like, it grows in waste areas or find it in, places where people trample and stuff like that. Try to get it so that it's not one that people have trampled on a bunch. But um, the best thing that I think it's turned me on to being an herbalist for good. Uh, if you have a bug bite or a bug or a, or a sting or anything like that, and it's driving you nuts, um, you know, it itches like crazy or it hurts. Grab a piece of plantain, stick it in your mouth, chew it up a little bit, and then slap it right on that bugs, bug bite or sting. And it stops. It stops hurting. It stops itching. Within seconds. That is that is the easiest. That's awesome for mosquito bites and stuff. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, it works on mosquito Ooh. bites. If we, um, it works on bee stings. It works on any kind of anything. Um, it it helps a little bit with poison ivy. Jewelweed is the big one for poison ivy, but you can you know find that everywhere too, and just grab it and rub it on your poison ivy. I've had poison ivy more times than I can even admit. But, <laughs> um, <clears throat> but yeah, plant, plantain's awesome and. Uh, like I said, you, you find one or two little herbs that you figure out, you you learn how to use them, and then you're suddenly, next thing you know, a couple years later, you're an herbalist, and, you know, trying to help other people with things. So, um, yeah, that's that's where I'm. I just I grow everything. Everything I say, oh my god, I fall in love with this plant, and I buy seeds. So I'm, I'm I grow a lot. <laughs> well, tell us about something that grew last year. That grew well last year. Uh, I grew green beans like they were coming out my ears. I have so many. I still have so many bags of frozen green beans in my freezer. I don't know what the heck I'm going to do with them. They're probably going to end up going to the chickens in the springtime because I can't possibly eat that much soup. But I just, I see it. They're coming and coming and coming and coming and coming. And I couldn't not pick them. I would stand there and pick a couple of green beans, put a couple in the bucket for me, throw a couple to the goose because she sees me over there and she's like, oh my God, I want your green beans. Throw the throw to the goose, throw to the ducks. They went nuts. How many plants did you have? I I think I grew. They were climbing uh, green beans. I, six, maybe six plants. I had so many. It's not even funny. I like I I will maybe plant two next year because I don't I don't know what I'm gonna do with them all. Um and I and I like to grow the little purple green beans. Um they're like a bush bean, but they're yeah like the dragon tongue beans. My students love those. Yeah, I, well, I don't know if they're dragon tongue. They're um, purple something or other. I can't remember the oh. name. They're, the, they're like a scarlet purple. maybe or something. Yeah, that's probably uh-huh. it. Um, but those those are crazy prolific too. So I I'm try I've been trying to make note of which beans have a ton of. And and one lady that I worked with at the nursery last year, 
she came, she goes, oh, I grew some extra tomatoes. Do you want one? I said, sure. Why not? I'll throw this in my garden. She gave me one tomato. It was like a, the yellow pear um, cherry tomato. Holy cow. Oh, my God. It took over the garden. This thing oh, no. was massive. It was massive. I put it in one little raised bed, and it took over the entire raised bed. And then I couldn't go in there and trim it because one of those um, black and yellow orb weaver spiders decided to take up residence in that in that tomato plant for like three months <laughs> she was enormous and my kids are going i'm not going near that i'm not getting those tomatoes and i said i would just pick the tomatoes around the spider i'm like please don't bite me <laughs> so she eventually went away but yeah that was that was fun that's oh god took over so be careful like you probably you only have to plant tomatoes like once and then you have them forever what uh what's something you're excited to do different next year or you're gonna try this summer that you haven't done before? Um we've we have spent the last two and a half years preparing um our 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 large growing space. It's about um I'd have to do the math on it. It's like fifty feet wide by sixty-five feet long thereabouts. So it's not enormous. It's a pretty big chunk of the lawn, but it's, it's not the entire area. But that's, that's the big garden. I call it the big garden. Um, we spent an entire year mowing it down because the very first year we were here, um, we, we paid a guy to come in and, and take down all the bushes and things that had been growing around it because it was neglected like everything else on this property. Um, and the guy was very nice and helpful and he offered to till it and he tilled it. And he ended up tilling uh, poison ivy throughout the entire garden. <laughs> so I found that out the hard way. Oh, no. Uh, in 2017. So 2018, my husband said, screw it, we're just going to mow it. And he, the entire summer, 2018, he just mowed over it back and forth and back and forth because we figured if you mowed the heck out of that poison ivy, it wouldn't have a chance to get get going again, you know? And it really did. It worked. So last year... Um, we still didn't really want to, we were afraid to plant in it yet. Um, we, cause he still, there was a couple of little spots of poison ivy that were trying to hold out. Um, but we, we mowed those down and I spent the summer putting layer upon layer of cardboard and hay. And then towards the fall, I put every leaf I raked up in the yard went on that garden. I also found, um, you know, I, I put an ad out on like Facebook marketplace and said, I, I want your leaves. If you have leaves, I want your leaves. Few different people said, "Hey, you know, here, come grab my leaves." So, and actually, as soon as I get off off the podcast with you, I'm gonna um, call another lady who said, "Oh yeah, I'll load your truck up with leaves." So, yay! So I'm gonna do that today. <laughs> but I go just get people's leaves, and you put another layer of leaves down. Um, some people will put a whole layer of wood chips. I'm waiting for Chip Drop to bring me some chips, hopefully. But uh, I'm not gonna do a whole layer of wood chips. I did a little bit, but. I'm going to do like some paths with wood chips in there, but I already ordered the fencing to go around it. We're finally at a point in our lives, three, four years later, we're going to do the fencing right the first time instead of messing it up over and over again. I bought the right sized fencing, the right length. It's tall enough to keep the chickens out. It's going to, you know, and, and we'll be able to bury it. And that's going to be a big, long project, building a big fence around it. But once it's done, it should be done. So I can't wait. Um, this this is my first real foray uh, without without having raised beds because um, there's no raised beds in this area. It's just a giant area of no-till, no-till gardening. 
um, layer upon layer upon layer. And I'll, every year I'll put more more hay and more wood chips. You can get moldy, gross hay for really cheap, if not free, from a lot of people. <laughs> I think I was paying like two bucks a bale for some ratty hay and just lay, 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 lay it all down. So I'm waiting to see. Um, it's kind of an experiment this year. I don't expect to be planting any root crops in there, really. Um, I might be able to get some burdock in there because burdock will grow with anything, but not, you know, carrots or, or beets or anything. That's going to have to go in a raised bed. But, um, I think if I spend, you know, this year growing some stuff in there, it'll, it'll transform the soil the rest of the way. It'll get through whatever cardboard hasn't deteriorated. And, um, that'll, that'll be my official farm garden right there. I mean, because I'm into the herbalism thing, I, I, I've been planting a lot of bushes bushes and shrubs. Um, I have apple trees and a couple of peach trees. You know, I have a big raspberry patch. I have some blueberry bushes that are not doing very well, but they're not, they're not dead yet. So, you know, that's a success, I guess. But, um, you know, it, there's a lot of, a lot of herbal medicines come from sh shrubs, basically, you know, that, um, Cramp bark is, is, um, viburnum opulus. Uh, there's witch hazel is its own, um, shrub. Um, I'm, I just ordered a, a birch tree last week. So that's, that's, I make the birch, um, with that, uh, birch oil with that. Um, but anyway, there's a lot of shrubs and there's little shrubs you can get that have different berries and things on them. So I'm kind of spreading it all over the place. I've got centralized garden beds for vegetable growing. Um, but, Everything else is kind of, you know, I, I pick a spot where it's going to get the right kind of light willy nilly <laughs> in the yard and um, make sure there's some compost in the hole. And I, I always try to get some some hay or leaves up around it or wood chips up around it. So I'm I'm, I'm you know, ex I'm changing the soil and making the soil better. But it's a it's a slow, long process. And probably like 10 years from now, this place is going to look fantastic. But at the moment, it's it's a little beginner-ish looking still. <laughs> I'm still in the beginnery stages, even though I've been doing this it. This is awesome. I, I think <laughs> listeners are totally loving to hear all of this. So what didn't work the way you thought it was going to last season? Like, was there something that you thought was going to do one thing and did something completely opposite? Or just yes. What you wanted it to? Yes, my peach tree. I have one of my, I, I only have two peach trees right now. Um, but that's all you really need if you're, if you're not selling a lot. But one of my peach trees, my favorite peach tree, I call it my baby, my baby peach, because <clears throat> it came from a seed from a peach that I ate, that I picked on the farm that I worked at in 2015. No way. <laughs> yeah. So I ate a couple of these peaches. They were the most amazing tasting peaches I've ever had in my life. They were little donut peaches. I don't know if you've ever seen those. Um, they look like a little donut. They're the sweetest peaches you will ever taste in your entire existence. Um, they're amazing. But I, so I, I, oh, I, I said, they kind of look like a donut. It's a peach that looks like a donut. It's really cute. They're little short, flat, round things. But anyway, I, I saved the seeds from a couple of them, stuck them in a bag with some soil, um, with some, you know, moist soil in the bottom of my fridge for like five, six months and they ended up sprouting. So I planted them in a pot with some better soil. And eventually, when we bought this house in 2017, I managed to, I planted it in the ground and it's just exploded. This thing, it, I mean, the, the trunk is like gotta be almost five, it's gotta be five inches diameter, six inches almost in just, you know, whatever it's been, not even maybe five years, not even, uh, since I ate the peach. 
But last year, um, I had tr- I had tried to trim it just off of like I, I had a book on how to trim trees, trim fruit trees and whatnot, and I read it and I, I thought I trimmed it well and I didn't trim it well enough. I uh, with peach trees, I've just learned this recently. You really have to prune them severely. Um, and I, I was kind of afraid to do that. And because I was afraid to do that, um, in the spring, it looked beautiful. I mean, it had all these little buds. I had, I had probably hundreds of flowers. I've got, I think, a picture of that on my Instagram from last year too. Hundreds of beautiful little pink flowers. And every one of those little pink flowers was going to be a peach. And I was so excited. And it turned out that, um, because I had left so much on there, um, it leafed, when it leafed out, the, everything was so close together um, between between the fact that I had too many leaves and everything was so close together and it was a really wet spring. It caught a fungus. So every one of those peaches, even after they started developing, shriveled up and rotted. And it was depressing because I didn't get a single peach from that last year. <laughs> so, I mean, the first year it was here, I had I had I think I only had one or two peaches, but they're they're just they didn't look like donut peaches. They looked like a little miniature regular peach, but they tasted like donut peaches. They're amazing. So I know this tree can can produce amazing tasting peaches. But this year, um, I think a couple weeks ago, we had a really warm day, and I went out there. I was by myself. The kids were at school. My husband was gone. I said, "Screw it!" I went about out there with the with the pruners, and I I pruned the ever loving crap out of that tree. I mean, I didn't cut it down, obviously, but you're supposed to make a peach tree. Like if you hold your hand out, palm up, and like curl your fingers up, kind of, so it's like like you're holding a bowl or something. That's kind of like what a peach tree is supposed to look like, and you're really supposed to do that when they're like a little two inch sapling instead of waiting as long as I did. So I'm hoping it worked well this year. I'll I'll find out for sure. But I I I definitely put pictures of that on my Instagram because it, the the before picture you can see tons and tons and tons of branches, and then after you just prune the crap out of it. It doesn't look very good <laughs> right now, but you know, if it worked, I should have enough space in there to get the sunlight to all the peaches that do grow. You know, that the leaves won't be so close together. It won't be holding so much moisture and it'll finally actually be able to grow the way it's supposed to. So hopefully, I mean, I learned that lesson the hard way too. Everybody learns a lesson the hard way, or at least, I mean, I learn a lot of lessons the hard way, I guess. <laughs> So, listeners, if you're like me, I am going through um, – it is just at Black Sun Farm. I'm going through your Instagram feed, which I have gone through before. I should have um, refreshed my memory before we got on the mic. Um, but uh, I, I'm not seeing that picture. But I did see – the. where did I just saw the peaches? But, oh, your goats are so cute. <laughs> yeah. And your feed is just full of awesome stuff. Uh, woke, uh, I think listeners will be glad to know, like, all sorts of this, like, the part about these baby peaches that I had not really heard about, so I'm excited about those, because, like, I, I don't know, I'm just, like, the weirdest person. I can eat vegetables all day long, but I have to force myself to eat fruit, and I think one of the bigger problems with fruit is it's just so messy, and I hate a peach that's, like, just my husband is the down same my way. face, and I'll bet these aren't <laughs> dripping down your face. This is awesome. Yeah, my husband's the exact same way. I had to force him to eat blueberries the first time we worked on the farm together. I was like, please, just try them. They're blueberries delicious. are so easy because they, they're one of my favorites, but they're just so expensive. And then last summer, I grew, put 
I grew blueberries, but I just didn't have the water. Like the spigot right by the blueberries was yeah. tied up to the house. And so you had to like, I don't know. Oh yeah. They a lot of I'm hoping they're going to do better this year. It could be something else. I don't know. But, um, that's, and, and just all this information about pruning is just great. Before we get to the root of things, we're going to thank our sponsors and affiliate links. This is Robin Kelson from the Good Seed Company. We sell heirloom seeds for common use. We offer vegetable, herb, flower seeds um, locally adapted for our area and uh, all open pollinated and heirloom, a lot of them organic or ecologically farmed. We also sell seed collections to help you, uh, to help new gardeners be successful in their growing. We sell flower collections that are good for pollinators. We sell medicinal herbs and culinary herbs, all sorts, all sorts of seeds that would be um, of interest to new and experienced gardeners. www.goodseedco.net. We're having a sale right now on garlic and um, greens for fall, if you're interested. This is Sarah Harding from Coconut at Sea Soap Company. I was inspired to start making plastic-free shampoo bars on a family boat trip to Indonesia. I was in heaven. But seeing avoidable plastic polluting the rivers, beaches, and oceans of our planet broke my heart. So I came home and started making shampoo bars. My Mother Nature's shampoo bar is a plastic-free alternative to bottled shampoo. Just like growing a garden and wearing natural fiber clothes, shampoo bars are an example of old-fashioned choices that make good sense today. To read more about my climate story, visit coconutatsea.com. There you can also shop for our soaps and shampoo bars made with organic ingredients. We help folks get clean without mucking up the planet. Coconut at sea. And now let's get to the root of things. This is kind of the part of the show that we call getting to the root of things. So Amelia, like, do you have a least favorite activity to do in the garden? Like something? Yes. I hate squishing the the potato bugs and the squash bugs. That sucks. (laughs) It's gross. It's disgusting. They get like in your fingernails and they're gross, but you have to do it. You have to do it or the, or they will take over and they just destroy everything. But you got to go out there and check every single leaf for eggs and and the little the fat little yellow gross hairy squash bug whatever the heck they're called they're not the insect yet but you know what I mean mm-hmm. uh, they're disgusting. So on the flip side, what's your favorite activity to do in the garden? Um, it's a cross between planting and harvesting. I I I love to harvest. Um, I like to harvest the things that smell nice, so the the uh, the herbs that have the volatile oils or the fruit. Um, I I know I say I'm a farm, but don't ever expect me to be selling you strawberries because strawberries don't make it out of my garden. I I, <laughs> I eat them all. <laughs> I, I'm trying, I'm trying to grow more, but it's like physically impossible. And then the do you have any is, challenges with strawberries? We have challenges with strawberries. Like the birds get our strawberry. No, you know what? I mean, I think I've had bugs eat them a couple of times, but I haven't had a lot of issues. I have a couple of ever-bearing strawberries. 
I don't like the June bearing ones because they, they, they bear a whole ton in June and that's all you get all year. I'd rather just be picking little bits at a time. You got to plant more of them to get it like that. But I have the everbearing strawberries and then I have, um, I don't know if they're pineapple. They're the little, the little tiny alpine strawberries, but they're white. And those things are insanely prolific. Like you can take, uh, you, you know, you go picking your strawberries, you find one that's kind of like rotting. You don't really, really want to put it in your mouth. Just pick it, stick it in a pot or stick it in another spot in the garden. And within a month or so, you've got more strawberry plants. They grow that easily. So I really would love to be, um, I'm trying to convince my husband to, to build me, um, like a vertical strawberry garden or something because they're small plants and they're little singular plants. They don't have runners, but the flavor of those little white strawberries is just to die for. It's the sweetest little thing I've ever had. And I, I want to grow more of them. They're going to be kind of hard to sell because I'll have, it's, it's intensive to be picking that many of these little tiny things. Um, but they're, they're worth it for, for flavor, especially if you're just doing it for yourself. My God, the flavor is amazing. Anyway. Wow. What's the best gardening advice you've ever received? Um, I wrote down an answer for this one. Can I, instead of advice, can I use a lesson learned? Absolutely. Um, I, I learned this lesson on that very first farm I was at. Um, especially if you're, if you're farming anything large or if, if you have a large garden, you're going to look at something, see a task that needs to be done or write down a task that needs to be done. And you're going to think, oh, I'll get this done in 15 minutes. And it never, ever, ever happens. And you need to reconcile yourself to the fact that it doesn't matter what you think it is for a gardening task, a farming task, whatever. It's always, always going to take longer than you expect it to. Either something's going to go wrong or something, you know, you're not going to expect you're going to say, oh, I'm just going to go weed these couple of garden beds. It'll take me 10 minutes. Oh, that's going to take you at least 30 or 45 minutes because you'll not realize how badly these weeds got in or, you know, something like that. I, I, I used to think, you know, I, we had to trim the, the onions at the, at the farm where, um, you, when you grow onions, um, from, from seed, they set up their little onion hair things and in order to keep them so that the bulbs grow larger, you got to cut the tops off, you know, like once or twice before you plant them in the ground. So I remember distinctly going in the greenhouse and the boss says, yeah, go trim the onion heads. And I'm like, oh, cool. That's all we have to do all day. This will be an easy day. We'll be done early. No, 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 no. It never takes. <laughs> You're standing there with each one with the scissors cutting off and you have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of these flats full of onions so it and you know you think oh i'm gonna weed this whole you know these couple of rows and i'll be done in a couple of hours nope by the end of the day you've just finally started to finish weeding so the thing is don't sweat it though you know because it'll get done eventually things will get done you don't have to get it all done at once you don't have to freak out and rush through it just just try to keep Whatever pace you can go at, and it will get done. Wow. Uh, how about a favorite tool that you like to use? Like, if you had to move and can only take one tool with you, what could you not live without? I love my soil knife. This thing is the best thing ever. I learned, I, I, I did, um, I had a landscaping job for, like, a month and a half. <laughs> I didn't last long landscaping. Um. But this is like in 2018 and they gave everybody a soil knife. 
I ended up having to give mine back, but last year I finally bought one again because holy crap, this thing is the best thing ever. It's like, it looks like a long trowel, but it's, um, got serrated edges. So you can, you can stab this thing down into the soil and pull up whatever thing by the roots. Like you can use it for dandelions. You can use it for weeding. You can use it to harvest things. It's awesome. I love that thing. Cool. Will you send me a picture of it to put in the show notes? Oh, I yeah, kind of sure. think I know what it looks like, but I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, I'll email you a picture. So what's your favorite recipe you like to cook from the garden? Uh, the the thing I, I love to I make and I love to tell people about is um, beets, honestly, because I in in working farmers markets so much, I, f- I find so many people that come up and say, ew, beets, I don't like beets. And every single time somebody has said to me, I don't like beets. I say, well, how do you eat beets? And they say, well, boiled. And I say, well, that's why you don't like beets. Beets boiled are disgusting. <laughs> what you want to do with beets, you take the beets. You can you can use the greens, too, if they're fresh. Um, sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. If I'm just doing beets, like my kids will love it this way, you cut the tops off, peel it, slice it up, and saute the beets in bacon fat with a little bit of onion and garlic and maybe some salt and pepper it is like the best thing ever you know just cook them until the beets are are softer like you're doing potatoes or something and that is like one of the best things ever ever love it well i agree but i love beets anyway they are but that's how (laughs) i i mean i don't cook a bit bacon but i saute them that's my favorite uh do you make golden beets or just a like purpley red ones um no i i've done every different color of beets um the white ones aren't as black beets I don't, I haven't seen white black beets. I haven't it's seen dark red. There's some that get really, really dark red. Um, I, I tend to prefer the red ones. Um, I think they've got a little bit earthier flavor than like the golden beets or the chiagias, but I'll eat any kind of beets. I don't, it doesn't matter to me. Um, they're all delicious. I love the golden ones. Uh, <laughs> how about, do you, so I added a new question. Do you have a favorite podcast? What other podcasts uh, do you love that you're listening to? Um, I listen to. Hang on, I got my list right here. <laughs> I can, I've I've listened to the Commonwealth Center for Holistic Herbalism. That's they've they've got a pretty decent one. Um, what's this other one? I think it's Evolutionary Herbalism. Let me just check my my list here. Um, the ones that I listen to the most, The Plant Path with Sage and Whitney Popham. That one's a really good one. Um. Or any other herbs and oils podcast is pretty good. Um, <clears throat> Herb Rally is a good one, and I've listened to your podcast. Um, the other one that I really like, I, I'm I'm a history nerd, so I've been listening to American History Tellers and the History Chicks. Those are awesome as well. Awesome. Well, that was a whole bunch of them. I'll try yeah. to put all those links in the <laughs> show notes. How about a favorite internet resource? Where do you find yourself surfing on the web? I look at a couple different ones, um, and I can send you a list if you need need it. Um, but I, I do look at learning herbs, um, evolutionary herbalism. These are all things you can just type into like the Google search bar, and they come right up. Um, Commonwealth Center for Holistic Herbalism, uh, Herbal Academy of New England, the Chestnut School of Herbal Medicine, and the Matthew Wood Institute of Herbalism. Those are all good. Um, they're all herbalist stuff, uh, for, for gardening. I mean, I don't really, 
to be fair, with gardening stuff, a lot of times Pinterest has some good stuff that comes up. I sit on Pinterest for like 10 or 15 minutes at night. Um, but if you get, if you get your growing totally. chart for your state, that's, that's like the quickest thing you can, the best thing you can have. Every, everybody that's gardening or growing at all should have the little chart that your state puts out that's, that's, um, these vegetables during this time of month of the, of the year. Um, this is what's available. This is what's available. You know what the chart I'm talking about? Every, everybody, every state mm-hmm. I've ever experienced has this little chart that they put out. You can get apples from this month through this month. You can do lettuce from this month through this month. That way you don't feel like you're screwing up because you, your peppers aren't, your pepper plants aren't producing, you know, by the end of June or something. You're like, no, no, it's totally normal. They need a little bit longer, you know? <laughs> uh huh. How about a favorite reading material? Like, is there a book or a magazine or a blog that you can recommend? Um, I liked the, uh, these, my, favorite books right now are um the organic medicinal herb farmer um the market gardener gaia's garden is a good one um and the one that's my um this my little my little pagan herby smudgy thing is cunningham's encyclopedia of magical herbs Awesome. I think listeners are going to love this. There's a lot of people, like, I'm big on herbs. I know, I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that like these resources. So, since you kind of have a lot of business advice, I know you've shared any today, but do you have any advice for listeners about that want to get started maybe selling extra produce or get started, like, in the herbal medicine industry or anything or or starting a farmer's market or, like, um, it sounds like recommended an apprenticeship, just not when your kids are really being. Yeah. <laughs> don't, if you can do an apprenticeship, if you, if you don't have kids, holy God, don't go do an apprenticeship. Yes. That's awesome. It's the best thing you could possibly do. Um, and a lot of people, I, I've seen a ton of people online, um, that, that are in their like twenties and they just, they go do an apprenticeship and that's it. That as soon as you do that, you're a farmer or at the very least you respect where your food comes from for the rest of ever. Um, what I would suggest is two things. One, look up the laws in your state to make sure you're not breaking any of them. But if you can make an, whatever value added products, like if you want to mix teas or if you make, um, an herbal salve or anything, uh, in Connecticut, there's a lot of rules about this. I, I actually just learned that I, I can't legally sell my salve at the farmer's market unless I have uh, this special license with a special kitchen inspection thing going on. And there's, there's a whole bunch of hoops you got to jump through just for me to sell a couple of jars of salve. So I said, forget it. Um, but a lot of states don't have that. So you got to look up the laws first, but, um, I would suggest get yourself a booth at like a craft fair. Cause you can get a booth at a craft fair pretty much anywhere for like 20, 25 bucks and sell pretty much whatever you want. You don't really need a, a, a bunch of insurance. You don't farmers markets require like a, a million dollars of insurance coverage, um, and certain licenses and all kinds of things like that. So it's a little bit harder to do that, but if you can, have yourself a little roadside stand, even if it's literally just like a folding table out there with a sign, which is all I've had for the last two years. Um, it's still a roadside stand. And I still get customers. Um, if you can have a booth at a, at a craft fair, you know, every now and then you get your card out there, t- talk to people and say, Oh, I make this. I, I can make this for you. I can make that for you, whatever. You can also do a website for like, you can do a WordPress website, just a personal level site. You can't sell or anything. And it's like three bucks a month or something. Um, it's not a lot. It's not going to be dragging customers. You can do a WordPress site for free. The only problem I have with WordPress is 
their ads drive me crazy. Yeah. But I have like 14 free WordPress sites. Yeah. Well, see, that's, that's the thing. And then all you got to do is make yourself some business cards and put your website on there and hand it to people. And then, oh, that's where I can find you. You know what I mean? So things like that to just, but the craft fairs and the, and the things, the easy little things like that, or if your friend is doing a flea market or something like that, have a booth and try it out and test your market. It's low risk, risk. It's inexpensive. Um, it de- generally doesn't require any insurance, any special insurance or anything. So I, I would say test your test your market and see if there's any interest before you get go you know full gung ho into anything. That's it. <laughs> I think that's awesome advice um, because you might find out like even like just a little tweak like culinary herbs instead of medicinal herbs or Mm -hmm. vice versa medicinal herbs instead of culinary herbs or like you know i don't know um there's like some special tomato somebody wants you to that nobody can get that they want to find or yeah testing your market is awesome Mm -hmm. something i'm horrible about (laughs) (laughs) anyway so here's my final question amelia if there's one change you'd like to see to create a greener world, what would that be? For example, is there a charity or organization you're passionate about, a project you'd like to see put into action? Like, what do you feel is the most critical issue facing our planet in regards to the environment, either locally, nationally, or on a global scale? Um, besides the plastic and trash pollution, which I'm sure every single person comes and says because it's horrible and I rant and rave about that constantly, um, Reusing your your what you are going to be throwing away is is a good idea. Um, yogurt cups you can use to plant squash in. Um, jars you can use to keep herbs in. You anything that you can possibly reuse, do it for the love of God. Just do it because the recycling system is is half broken in half of this country. But <coughs> excuse me, the big thing that I try to I try to impress upon people is to buy local, because if you buy local produce from your local farmers. Um, that means that, that you're not, you're reducing the amount of greenhouse gases going into the air. And if that doesn't make sense, let me say, you go, you walking down to, um, the farmer's market, you're handing them the money to the farmer. The farmer doesn't have to package all that stuff up and send it to a store. Uh, and then the store have it, you know, mark that up and send it and sell it back to you. <clears throat> you're, you're handing your money directly to the farmer. The, uh, you're, you're buying a, a chicken from somebody. You, you, you find them online and you drive all the way out to their farm, you know, whopping 10 minutes away probably. And you buy a couple of, of pieces of chicken or, or some ground beef or some bacon or something like that. Um, and you're handing your money to that farmer and getting the money, the, the, the meat from that farmer. You're, it's, it's direct person to person, you know exactly where your food is coming from, you know exactly where it was grown, exactly where it was raised, you know how, the, I, I like to buy my, my my meat from this lady at the farmer's market, she lives she lives right down the road from my sister, so I've seen her farm, I've been there a bunch of times, be like, well, I know that cow, I'm eating that cow in a month, <laughs> you know, I've bought bacon from a lady a couple towns away, it was like the most amazing bacon ever, and you can go over to her farm, and she'll, it's just like, yeah, yeah, that's the pigs, they, you know, they go to slaughter in a couple of months, blah, 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 whatever, and they're amazing, so, um, you know, a lot of the vegetable farms, you can just say, hey, can I come check out your operation, as long as you're not tramping through the vegetables, yeah, you can go check and see, you know, sometimes they'll, leave, they'll even let you pick some kale or whatever, you know, but you, that, if you know where your food is coming from, it's better for you, it's better for the farmer, obviously. They're, they're selling directly to you, so they're not having to have all these other overhead costs. You're not putting 
um, as much greenhouse gases into the environment because they're not having to transport that stuff all over the place. So the global economy, while it's a great concept, is not really great for the planet. Like, I like eating bananas. I'm glad I can eat bananas, but it sucks that they have to come all the way from South America. In the summertime, I try, or actually all, all year long, I, I try my best to eat what's in season at the time because the, whatever, whatever vegetable or whatever it is that's in season that time of year most likely had to travel the least amount to get to me. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I can probably get apples in September from literally anywhere. Because that's when apples are growing. I can just go down the road and get some apples. I can, I can get, you know, kale and spinach in early spring because that's when they're growing. So, um, pay attention to what comes out, what time of year and try to keep your money local, local farmers. You, you giving money to local farmers keeps them in business, keeps their kids in school. It keeps, you know, tools in their barn and everything. Hope that makes sense. <laughs> I think that was awesome. I totally, I was nodding my head most of the time, and I'm sure listeners are too. Uh, so how do listeners connect with you? Do you have a website besides your Facebook page and your Instagram? You should put your a link to your Instagram on your Facebook about page. But um, it's, it's I not, know no. um, if you if you go oh on my Facebook thing, I don't I don't even know. Um, the link, if you go to my website, it's blacksunfarmct.com. Um, but the first thing that comes up, you, you'll see my logo, and then there's a little Instagram dot and a little Facebook dot, and that links to both my Instagram and my Facebook. Um, oh, yeah. I so, see them. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I think Facebook and Instagram are connected through my page, so whenever I post something, they can see it. I don't know for sure. Sometimes, I mean, usually if I have a picture that I think is good enough for Instagram, I'll, I'll turn around and put it on Facebook anyway. Like the picture, the, the video I took of me blow drying my chicken was up there. <laughs> uh, anyway, and I, I, I try to update my, my website. I made it like a premium website, whoop de doo on, on WordPress. Um, but yeah, my, my, um, my children's book is up there. I wrote a children's book on, on vegetables. Um, it's called Ugly Farm. That's I try to convince people to um, get people and kids to try vegetables that don't look normal. You know, at the grocery store, all all the celery and carrots are perfectly straight, and in reality, that's not how it works. So you know, eat things that look weird so that you don't you know you reduce food waste. So that's anyway my children's book on that. But my everything's on on my website and then Facebook and Instagram and yeah, you can contact me through. My website, I think it goes straight to my email. Uh, when did you write the book? Oh, so cute. I'm going to get this for my classroom. <laughs> yeah. Every little kids love it. I wrote that in, uh, 2000, like January 2015, shortly after I was done farming my first year. I took all of those pictures I took from vegetables that I picked on the farm. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's so cute. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for sharing so much with us this morning and just keep on rocking. You are definitely a rock star millennial. I mean, look at all the things that you've learned and shared just in the short interview. And I just know listeners are going to love this and they're going to follow you on Instagram and catch you in the Organic Gardener podcast Facebook group. And just thank you so much for all you do. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> thank this you. This was so fun. Cool. Thanks, Amelia. Okay. Now. Well, I don't know how to shut the recorder off, but I'll cut it out of the 
thing, but it's okay if I grab pictures because my show notes kind of tend to be long, so I like to grab pictures. Oh, yeah. What do you like off the website or what do you need? Yeah, or like Facebook. Instagram doesn't let me grab them, but like Facebook or the website. Yeah. Yeah, sure. That's fine. And I said I was going to send you a picture of my soil knife, right? Yeah. Do you want to like send you a link to where to buy the soil knife or do you sure. want my actual soil? Because I, I mean, I bought it on Amazon. Sure. If you want to send both, that'd be awesome. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, Amelia. Well, you have a great day. This was awesome. Thanks. You too. I got to go spread leaves now. <laughs> Okay, have fun. Yeah, okay. Thanks. Bye-bye. Get your copy of the Organic Oasis Guidebook available today from Amazon. It's got 12 lessons designed to help you create your own organic oasis. Um, It starts with healthy soil. It talks about building an earth-friendly landscape. It helps you understand the difference between annuals and perennials and how to bringing beneficial insects. It talks about fruit trees and just um, all the lessons that I've learned on my podcast mixed with what Mike and I have done here. Okay. What Mike has done here at Mike's Green Garden and just um, I hope that it will help you on your garden journey uh, to create, like I said, your own organic oasis um, where you can have healthy food and enjoy um you know a very special place and most of all it's good for mother earth do you know someone who would benefit from the organic gardener podcast if you like what you hear we'd love it if you'd share the organic gardener podcast with a friend thanks again for listening and remember grow local